0: Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Cheryl Palmer Hughes, and I am in the hot seat today. I'm a partner in Owen Mitchell's International Serious Injury Team, and so I represent people who are injured in a country where they don't live um, and assist them with bringing claims for compensation across the world. Um, One of those countries in which we have clients is the US. Um, I sit on the Board of Governors, the American Association for Justice, and today we're going to be looking at um, claims arising out of water contamination at Camp Lejeune. Um, We're very fortunate to be joined by our client, Joe, who was stationed at Camp Lejeune in the 1980s. Um, Joe would like to share his and his family's story and raise awareness of um, what the changes in litigation ongoing in the US mean for those who were stationed there. So thank you, Joe, and welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me here.
0: We also have some other fantastic lawyers with me. We have Andrew Bookham from our military team. Um, I'd like to welcome you, Andrew, and ask you to introduce yourself.
2: Hi, Cheryl. Yeah, um, I'm Andrew Bookham. I'm a partner at Owen Mitchell and I'm involved in military claims. I have been for about 17, 18 years. In a previous life, I was actually an army lawyer. So I have a little bit of experience. I've known like to have served.
0: That's great. Thank you, Andrew. And finally, to complete our roundup, we have Mike Doyle, who is a lawyer in the U.S. at Doyle Dennis LLP. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for joining us.
3: Good morning, y'all from Texas. Uh, I'm Mike Doyle. I'm a partner at Doyle Dennis LLP with officers in Houston and Phoenix, Texas. I've been involved in veterans claims, Uh, going back to the burn pit and uh, Carminelli back in 2003 where represented both American and British serving soldiers uh, in similar toxic exposure claims.
0: That's great. Thank you, Mike. Mike, I wonder if you could please tell us more about Camp Lejeune and the litigation that arises out of um, those who are stationed there.
3: Sure. Uh, Camp Lejeune, the litigation, is really the result of a law passed by the United States Congress uh, several years ago that recognized that there had been severe contamination of the water supply uh, back at Camp Lejeune, which is a marine base, both a initial training uh, in for recruits as well as a air base in which a number of British serving military folks, whether in the Royal Marines their Navy, and in some instances, the, the Royal Army were stationed. And What it provides for, recognizing the effect of this toxic exposure, if you had been there during a period starting in 1957 through 1987, that you were entitled to compensation for a schedule of typical type of injuries. And there have been 131,000 administrative claims and about 23,000 lawsuits filed so far.
0: And how does this type of claim differ to other claims against the military?
3: What's different about the Camp Lejeune claims is it's, it's really already presume for certain injuries, certain exposures. And by the way, it includes civilian, if you were deployed with your spouse who was in the military for more than 30 days, you were exposed because everybody at the base was drinking the same contaminated water. And it's it's more of a claim, what we'd call a tort claim act against the United States government. So as opposed to you're in a car wreck, you sue somebody, it's a normal case. This one is exclusively handled by the Department of the Navy and they have a JAG facility. Uh, lawyers in Norfolk, Virginia, that are setting up both an administrative process and then once it goes to a lawsuit, it's going to be all filed in the same division down in North Carolina, which is a state in the mid-Atlantic in the United States.
0: Thank you. Andrew, please, could you help our listeners understand how it is that um, people from Britain who are employed by the Ministry of Defence might have claims?
2: It's not unusual that members of the armed forces were posted out to Camp Lejeune. That could be done directly through their unit or the MOD, or may be in fact part of a a NATO posting or a NATO exercise. So Camp Lejeune was very big um, in terms of resources and personnel, and because of that, um, it would be be quite usual for British service personnel to have joint exercise and joint training for, for quite lengthy periods of time. And as I say, it wouldn't be unusual for members of the armed forces to be posted out there for 12 months, two years. And with that would come their families and dependents. So there's probably quite a wide range of individuals from the veterans community that may have served in Camp Lejeune, particularly those people that have been in the Royal Marines or the Royal Navy. So it really is important for us to get that message out there so people can look at their own individual circumstances and then look at the criteria.
0: Thank you. Joe, thank you again for joining us today. Um, I know that this is a particularly difficult topic for you to talk about but would you mind sharing um what you can about your and your family's experience at Camp Lejeune and what has happened?
1: I was the Royal Marines Exchange Officer from the middle of 82 to the middle of 84 at Camp Lejeune with my family which started off with a, a wife and a one-year-old and in May 1983 born in the hospital at Camp Lejeune a daughter. The reason I'm here today is that 13th December 2021, my wife died of acute myeloid leukaemia, an aggressive and unusual form, apparently normally related to asbestos and nuclear submariners. The housing area I lived in was (laughs) slightly unfortunately known as Paradise Point, which I understand is an area affected by the contaminated water. I was there again, slightly ironic, for cold weather to um, impart to the U.S. Marines cold weather training. Considering the average temperature must be about 95 Fahrenheit with 100% humidity, that was a bit of a challenge. So we would take two or 3,000 U.S. Marines to train in places like Minnesota, New York State, the Rockies. Uh, Both winters, we went back to Norway. Now, Uh, Going on to my family situation, um, I'm I'm well aware from the little reading I've done, although I find it difficult, the number of people affected by this. And I'm sympathetic, obviously, to everybody. But I have to consider my family in this as things have worked out. And I might add, this this situation was not known about uh, while my wife was alive. In April 2021, she went for a pre-op for a hip replacement. Rapidly, it was discovered the blood results were appalling. Um, There was a bone marrow biopsy and the aggressive, unusual AML, acute myeloid leukemia, was discovered. So hospital, near where we live, from April to August, in an isolation room to reduce the risk of infection, which is extremely likely when your immune system is being destroyed by the chemo. The aim of that was to go to the process of a bone marrow transplant. However, the bad stuff that she had would not disappear with the chemo and um, therefore could not go through. Because You can't go through to the bone marrow transplant process unless the bone marrow is clear. So we agreed with the medical authorities and family and everything that in August she would come out of hospital and remain on uh, medication and weekly review at home. And she was able to live a fairly normal life until the end of November. And the risk with this disease is you are vulnerable to infection. And she went down with pneumonia. Back in hospital for a few days, clearly things weren't going well. We managed through a short window of opportunity when she was well enough to get her home for palliative care for 12 days. And she died on the 13th of December at home. So the situation I face is that my family is potentially under threat because we were there for two years. Daughter, okay, was there for a year. And the effect on a wider family, if things go wrong, in that there are four grandchildren involved. I happen to see a newsletter, which I think in Mitchell, via the White Ensign Association and other charities, to get this newsletter put out, to um, get people to contact Erwin Mitchell if they had served at Camp Lejeune for over 30 days. I, um, I tried to engage with welfare authorities because my concern was that the, pe- the other people, because I'd only come across the information almost by accident, I wanted to make sure that other relevant people would have been informed. I can only say I haven't been met with a great deal of enthusiasm for help with this, And I might add that my predecessor in the post of Exchange officer, at Camp Lejeune died of cancer some years ago.
0: Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate that. Joe, you've touched on a couple of topics that I think would warrant us speaking about in a little bit more detail. One of those I'd like to explore with Mike in terms of the types of illnesses um, that have been explored as being related to the contamination. I think it would also be worth us having a look at what it is um, that... Owen Mitchell has done to raise awareness for this um, and what what steps people can take if they are concerned about whether they can make a claim or not. Coming back to the illnesses and types of illnesses that are covered, Mike I understand that there is a list of presumptive illnesses that in the US is considered to be linked to exposure to water contamination. I wondered what other illnesses might be covered if your, if your illness isn't on that list, does that mean you can't make a claim? Could
3: you explain that to us, please? Sure. The Department of the Navy has identified what they call uh, six or five, rather, track one illnesses where they're presumptively caused by the exposure at Camp Lejeune, assuming you were there for a sufficient time during the relevant time period. And those are bladder cancer, kidney cancer, leukemia, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and Parkinson's disease. That being said, there's a recognition that there are a number of other illnesses that are associated with these particular toxic substances. And so it doesn't mean that if you don't fall on one of those what's called track one illnesses that you may not file a claim. It just means that at least at this point, the Department of Navy has not specifically recognized that cancer or other illness as a causative result from your exposure at Camp Lejeune. And that's the process that that may require you to go through the trial, in the uh, federal court in North Carolina, or it may also uh, just be a matter of time until once they've evaluated all the claims, the Department of Navy JAG officers handling this claim in Norfolk, Virginia, recognize that this is something that should be appropriately compensated.
0: Thank you, Mike. That's very helpful. Andrew, I know that you've been involved in liaising with the Ministry of Defence in terms of communications to people who might have been affected. Would you mind explaining a little bit and what we have done to raise awareness and crucially what people should do if they think they might have a claim?
2: It is difficult because as Joe's touched upon, the MOD themselves, I've personally not seen any wider communication from the MOD about the compensation scheme in the US. So It has been we're very much looking at where we can get that message out to and the the kind of charity welfare world of of veterans is something that we've turned to and we have uh, approached some organizations in order to try and get that message out there. But it it can be difficult and it's it's something that in terms of I feel that we're quite passionate about is getting that information to people so that they can make an informed choice this is not a group of lawyers getting together forcing individuals to seek compensation this is arming claimants who are vulnerable and family members to give them that information to make an informed choice as to whether they want to take something forward or not particularly when we come to, as you know, show limitation periods, and we as lawyers see this so often, is that people approach a legal firm or a lawyer and it's too late because the limitation period has has gone. And on this particular scheme, and Mike jump in if I'm wrong on this, is 10th of August 2024. So, so time is ticking away, and it's important that individuals approach Erwin Mitchell or other firms out there that have that expertise and it is quite a a unique expertise to get that information because it can take time it can take time to get witness evidence it can take time to get medical records so getting that information as soon as possible is really important and essentially I'm hoping that the message is getting out there to the veterans community so people can make that choice Cheryl
0: thank you for that Andrew Mike, I wonder if you might be able to help us, please, in terms of what exactly is it that people need to do before the deadline in August 2024,
3: please? So the 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 Navy, which is handling this Department of Navy, the Marines are are a section within the Department of Navy in the United States, has set up a a claims process and you have a what's called a simplified complaint, which which will actually file the case. And it's a standard format that's been approved by the five federal courts there. And so more or less you need to fill out that information with with legal assistance to make sure you're putting in the correct form, the correct format, uh, and make sure it's filed by that date of 2024, August.
0: Thank you, Mike. And you've raised an important point, as has Andrew, in terms of the team of lawyers working for people. Joe has taken us through um, the very sad story um, about Carol's illness, and it's very clear to me that the complexities around the types of conditions that people might have suffered as a result of contamination, any questions they might have about eligibility, means that they should approach people, they should approach lawyers who have experience um, of dealing with military personnel, but also of suing departments of um, the government, and also who have experience in cross-border claims, because all of those things are at play here. It's incredibly important that claimants have a team of people who are working together so that we can as smoothly as we can navigate the process for them. One of the issues that you and I have discussed, Mike, is um, the scheme itself and how it is being um, run by the government. I wondered if you had any updates for us on that,
3: please. This is a government program, which is good and bad. I don't have to tell you all about that with the NHS. So what that means is it doesn't follow the normal timeframes, it doesn't follow the normal legal procedures, because it's more or less closest to what would be called in the United States an administrative claim. So for example, if you're a veteran in the United States and you have a disability or illness that results from your military service, You file with the uh, veterans administration and they handle it kind of on an internal basis. There's not a judge. It's just kind of a claims process where they have a claims examiner evaluated. There's actually an election that you can do that in this particular case that's being set up by the Department of Navy. So I expect the vast majority may be following that administrative process, but there is a. Uh, escape hatch where if it's not handled properly or you believe it's not being evaluated properly, you can file and should file in the proceedings in federal court, which is um, basically we have a system where you have federal courts and then state courts. This is a federal court that uh, has judges appointed for life that will be in this particular district called the Eastern District North Carolina evaluating as a lawsuit.
0: Thank you, Mike. Andrew, in terms of people who might wonder whether they or their family members have a claim. Are you able to explain why it is that those people should be approaching law firms who have the capability to work alongside people like Mike with knowledge of the scheme itself, rather than perhaps thinking that a claim might lie in the UK or against the Ministry of Defence?
2: This is a complicated piece of legislation and it's not straightforward. So I think the the, the ability to use the skills of Mike while still having a a a UK based firm solicitors is really important and a firm that understands military personnel. What I would say to to potential claimants and families is don't judge yourself, get that independent legal advice. And if you're unsure, just pick up the phone and make that call because you have the opportunity to tell your story, and it's for us then as the lawyers to make a, a legal decision as to whether we can take that forward for you. And I wouldn't want to speak on, on, on behalf of Joe, but on behalf of military personnel, it's not just about the compensation, because unfortunately this is all that this system can give you back, but it's it's ensuring that this never happens again. And, and secondly, to have some understanding of what went on during that period and, to, to provide them with a, a, a factual basis as to why they became ill, almost unexplained. So there's a there's a lot there for military personnel to consider when coming forward. But what I would say is make 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 that leap of faith and pick up the phone and have a chat because it just may result in something that's beyond compensation and just gives you that kind of peace of mind more than anything else, Cheryl.
1: Yeah, I, I can't really um amend or add to what what Andrew had said. I mean, th- this is the problem, you know, as I explained at the end of my piece that I have that um, I haven't been furnished with any information on a formal basis by the Minister of Defence.
0: Thank you, Joe, really appreciate that. And in terms of your own position, I know that you've made the inquiry with us, what do you think people might be worried about and do you have a message for them if they are pondering oh. whether to make an inquiry or not?
1: Well, Um, my message is if if I mean up from the first phone call I made I immediately furnished on the phone the basic information and that has been very efficiently followed up through various people in Erwin Mitchell so as far and then you've kept me informed particularly of your dealings um, with Mike and I'm, I'm well aware of the length of time these processes can take and I've just had in my mind recently, the blood contamination scandal of 30, 40 years ago. Which is, has a medical side to it, obviously. The w- one that doesn't is the Project Horizon post office disgraceful imprisonments and, and so on. So I think, although I know there are payments being made already, I think it, people, firstly, my advice to military personnel would be make the call. And secondly, be prepared for a bit of a long haul. and if it's not a long haul, good.
2: Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is, having served myself, I know compensation lawyers and claims don't sit comfortably with, with service personnel and veterans. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's doesn't something that they, sits easily with them. but you know, this is an opportunity for them just to, just to make that inquiry show and find that information and then make that informed decision. Um, but if they don't if they don't make that call, and we're here to listen, we really are, and to give them the right information to go away and have a think about things.
0: Thank you. Mike, is there anything that you would like to add to that?
3: You know, I actually was present in a United States Senate hearing back in 2008, which was the first time the stories of the families who had served along with some of the Marines at Camp Lejeune. Uh, this was a long process to get recognized by the US government. I was there because some of my clients were testifying about a uh, another terrible chemical exposure they'd had. And it's, it's for me, having watched it now finally be recognized, having listened to the veterans, having listened to the families who'd had these incredibly harmful health effects from their service at Camp Lejeune, it's nice to see the opportunity to get it recognized and compensation available for those who've been harmed by the actions of the United States government. It doesn't happen all the time.
0: Thank you, I agree with that, Mike. A lot, a lot of work is, gone on and continues to be ongoing to ensure that people have access to the justice that they deserve. I'd just like to look at in a little bit more detail before we wrap up some of the mechanisms of exposure. Mike, are you able to help on whether if people are wondering whether they might have been exposed? Um, is it just that you had to drink the water or were there other ways that people might have been exposed?
3: The The manner of exposure, at least so far, is not particularly important for the evaluation. In other words, Presumably you drank water, you bathed, you showered uh, in this water and so at least at this point the United States government is looking at the length of period that you were there uh, as short as 30 days and as long as you can confirm that time period and you know, the longer will likely lead to a more significant, at least they've indicated, recognition of the disease or illness. Uh, the United States government is recognizing that, you know, water is a necessity to life. You were exposed to the water. You drank it. It was part of what was going on. Uh, so that's not something at least the United States government is focused on as a way to block compensation.
0: That's good to hear. Thank you. So what I take from that is that people, if they were stationed at Camp Lejeune during the the time that we've mentioned, then really if there's any sort of symptoms of illness or diseases, then the best thing to do is to inquire and find out whether that is something that may or may not have been caused by the contaminated water.
3: I think the biggest takeaway is that if you, along with family members, were actually deployed resident at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, uh, you got exposed and you may have any number of illnesses that result. And if you you were there during that time period, it really behooves you to reach out to get information about what's going on in this process because it's real, it's been set up, it's been recognized, and it's available to you and your family.
0: And, Mike, if people had family members um, who were at Camp Lejeune who have since passed away for any reason, what can they do to look into whether any illnesses suffered by that person were caused by contamination?
3: The Camp Lejeune Act doesn't just apply to folks who are enduring illnesses it also recognizes that that many of these unfortunately cause fatal disease. So if you've had a loved one who passed from a fatal disease and has this time period where they've been at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, it really is something that the United States government has recognized. These are serious illnesses, serious diseases that in fact, unfortunately, too many times result in death. And those claims are certainly recognized and expect to be recognized for compensation and recognition as well
0: thank you and that's it for today huge thanks to andrew joe and mike for sharing their experiences we hope you found it insightful An important message through today's discussion that I take away is that anybody who is worried about whether they or their family members have suffered any illness as a result of exposure to contaminated water at Camp Lejeune needs to take action as soon as they can. The deadline for filing claims in the US is 10 August 2024, but the further in advance that you can make it, the better. So please do get in touch if you are worried about you or your family member having a claim. If you'd like to find out more about how we support our clients, please visit our website at irwemitchell.com. Thanks for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then please join us for our next episode. Stay safe.